that's what you went with. How can you not? After all, the, I mean, I had the choices had in front choices. of me. You had three. But... Uh, you had a good choice, I think, from each artist this week. But I respect where you went. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome in everybody to another episode of Totem Talks. This is season five, episode twenty, which is the official warning bells of the countdown of the season. Yeah. <laughs> and the warning bells for me to start compiling our data, which oh, I yeah, have not right. started have yet. Yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting, but we will. We will prevail. We will. We will we persevere. Uh, I don't know so what we're welcome. prevailing over, but we do it. Ah, you know. Every, well, every week, um, if you ever uh, read the mock-ups that I give, like the little descriptions of our episodes, mm-hmm. um, every once in a while I'll... I'll Equate them to an epic journey, uh, like yeah. we're going and slaying a dragon to find the, sure. the the greatest artist of all time. So that's what we're prevailing over. Okay. Although, sure. while some weeks are a true battle, uh, this was not that week. This was no, I don't think so. This this might have been top to bottom my favorite week of the of the podcast this this season. Interesting. I have to like, go back and look. Right. I have to go back. I and would look. also have to go back and look, but like. I may have liked artists more at times, mm-hmm. but I think just straight up top to bottom, there wasn't an artist that I was like not enjoying in some way. Okay. Spoiler alert. I guess we can just end the podcast. Yeah. All right. For well, the there day. it is. <laughs> well, who are those artists uh, anyway? Because here's the thing. There's, well, you know what? I'll I tell knew you it. Who the artists are, but you're going to do knew the it. third. I was like, so, I was like, yeah, I wonder just gonna if Nick is ready. It. Yeah, I'm uh, before so not ready before for that. you do that though. Oh, okay, fine. Uh, I would like to welcome everybody who is in our live audience because we are live right now. That's true. And we are doing it. I see Keith. I see Megan. Hello to you both. And uh, we are doing this live thing with our podcast this season as often as we can. Okay. Uh, we're we're trying to uh, to make it more consistent. Uh, unfortunately, life has been, in a word, tough. Sure. For, for scheduling uh, the episodes and making them go live. But we're doing the best we can, and we will continue yeah. to do so. Uh, but if you are enjoying the podcast, whether in live form or in video form or in audio form, uh, please throw us a like or a comment or a subscribe on whatever platform you choose to listen to. And uh, let us know uh, by checking out our socials, uh, which is Totem Talks or Low Totem on pretty much any platform. And uh, let us know what you think of the podcast, things you like, things you maybe don't like, things you may want us to change or keep the same, all that fun stuff. We would love to hear from you, and uh, and we appreciate the feedback. Yes. And so, this week, we covered. Yeah. We started out with Jeff Buckley. We moved on to the association, and then Pat is going to introduce the third artist we covered. <laughs> well, if you listened to the opening, you would know that we did Israel Kamakavivole. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Uh, I'm yeah, not going to lie. Gonna I spent 10 full minutes today. Yeah. Like, I need to make sure I get that right. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's that hard to pronounce once you know it. Right. But, like, the reading of it is so it's not. Tough. Yeah. Yeah, it's so not in my brain of that's just mm-hmm. that's how that's pronounced. Yeah. I but, knew, yes, it's kamakavivole. Right. I knew the W's in Hawaiian had more of a V sound, but I mm-hmm. still was going to struggle with that. <laughs> All right. Pat? Take us into Jeff Buckley, would you? I will. So Jeffrey Scott Buckley, uh, raised as Scott Moorhead, already an interesting thing. Interesting. Uh, was an American singer, songwriter, and guitarist. After a decade as a session guitarist in Los Angeles, 
uh, Buckley performed cover songs at venues and kind of came into his own, recording his one and only album, which of course we covered, and that was Grace. Right. So, uh, so that's. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's, that's that. <laughs> that uh, that's pretty much mm-hmm. the the little bio for Jeff Buckley. Uh, Grace, would, of course, came out in 1994. Right. Uh, now, Nick, would you like to go first with Grace? Sure, I would love to. Uh, so this is an album I've actually, I pulled a pat on this one. So I've been putting off listening to this album in full for like at least a year, if not more, because I knew we were going to cover it. And I sure. knew that it was highly critically acclaimed. So it's actually number 147 on the most recent Rolling Stone Top 500 albums of all time. Um, and I thought it was really good. Uh, I enjoyed this album quite a bit. Um as the song that everyone knows is his cover of Hallelujah. Like, that's the song that you're going to know. That's the, the most recognizable thing from this. And based off of that, I definitely wasn't really expecting the the style that he brought to a lot of the other songs. Because I sat there and, and I got through the first song and the second and the third. And I'm digging it. I'm enjoying it. I'm like, hmm. for the guy that does Hallelujah, he sounds <laughs> a whole lot like he's just, like, super influenced by Led Zeppelin way more than any other artist. Because uh, all the other songs definitely have that that type of an edge to them, and you could just tell like his his style of guitar playing um, is very much influenced by Jimmy Page, which is definitely a good thing to be influenced by. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I no think, kidding. Yeah, I think the sh- one of the great strengths of this record as well is also a strength that Zeppelin has, which is using dynamics to the extreme, like really showing a wide range of dynamics within each song and throughout the record as a whole. Um, so I thought this was very good. I think it's, you know, a, a strong record. It's a shame um, because of his, you know, early passing that we didn't get more records from Jeff Buckley. Um, but to maybe throw a slight bit of controversy, I think perhaps um, his his death at a young age slightly overrates the album. I think maybe 147 on the top albums list is a little high. But I do, but I do enjoy it. I, I, there wasn't anything about it I didn't enjoy. Sure. Okay. Well, listen. Here's what I'll say. I obviously knew Hallelujah going in. I knew that Jeff Buckley died young, mm-hmm. and that's what I knew. Uh, so going into it, I as I was kind of looking up the album just to play it because I don't do research beforehand. I saw all of the critical darling reviews mm-hmm. and rankings, as, and, I, and, and I'm like. At this point, I'm terrified because Nick will attest any album that comes out in the mid-90s that critics love so far on this podcast has been garbage. Sometimes. Literally. Sometimes literally. Um, a lot of them, though. I mean, we've a, a had... A good amount. I, I, was, I was terrified. Yeah. I was ter- especially since... Yeah. Especially since none of these other songs have permeated the like cultural mm-hmm. zeitgeist as much as Hallelujah. Sure. So the fact that there was one song that I really like, I was sitting here and I'm like, oh man, are we going to get like another Breakfast at Tiffany's mm-hmm. where that was the only song we liked from Deep sure. Blue Something pretty much. like, mm-hmm. And everything. So I was very nervous. And I'll tell you, I loved this album. I absolutely loved it. I, I really enjoyed every every single song. It felt really fresh and unique all the way through it felt like somebody who really and as i mentioned in the in the little bio in the beginning he spent a lot of time as a session session Mm -hmm. musician it felt like somebody who 
sat in on a ton of artists and just like sponged up all of the things he liked and then put that into an album. Sure. And that was really refreshing to hear. Um, I thought that he, well, I knew he had a good voice because of Hallelujah. I really was impressed by the different styles his voice went through on this album. So you have like kind of like a harder guitar sound at times and a harder like not quite rock, but like rock, you know, sound from his voice. And then you have a song like the Corpus Christi Carol mm-hmm. where he's like really poignantly falsettoing his way through it and it sounds really good. I mean for for a falsetto, it sounded very emotive and really fresh. And that's yeah. kind of the word for me is fresh. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't like this album came out in 1994 it really doesn't date itself to me no uh i mean it's an alt rock folky jazzy album in 1994 pretty much everything else alt rock really teetered on that grunge zone mm-hmm. it never touched that uh not that i don't like grunge but it never touched no it's it just different it was really really interesting to listen to now you may have a point with it being kind of overinflated by his passing well, i I don't necessarily know if that's the case or feel that same way. I really liked sure. it. Saying it's the 147th greatest album of all time, I think you and I can both attest that there comes a point when you're doing rankings of oh, anything yeah. in the hundreds where it's just sure. minuscule it changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I who knows? Uh, but I really enjoyed this album and uh, am just very upset that we didn't get more. So yeah. I'm going to just give a little bit of his bio before oh, we sure, go into yeah. Gratum. Uh, when obviously he was 30 years old uh, when he passed away. And it was very tragic because mm-hmm. it, it was an accidental drowning right. that, that, that uh, caused his passing. He was swimming and a barge came in, which is just terrifying. Honestly, yeah. a barge came in and he got basically swept in like to the, the undercurrent of the barge and drowned. And then they found his body the next day. Which is, <sighs> it was the Wolf Harbor River, which is uh, a channel of the Mississippi. Mississippi, yeah. And he was apparently swimming and singing Whole Lot of Love by Led Zeppelin yeah, under the Memphis so. Suspension uh, Railway. railway. And uh, Keith Fo- Foti, uh, a roadie, uh, was there with him. And uh, he just kind of looked up to see that Buckley was gone and the tugboat had uh, swept him away. And that's just really sad. It was, there was no signs of drugs or alcohol. He was completely sober, just kind of relaxing and having a good time in the water, and then boom. So, yeah, that's unfortunately, we didn't get more Jeff Buckley because of that. Uh, but let's go ahead and grade him. Sure. Um, I mean, I think he warrants a little bit more than the one for a one-hit wonder because sure. of his session work and his influence uh, on on later artists. I don't know how far we can push him in terms of like, you know, household name or or lack of other large songs but i definitely think he deserves you know a little bit here because grace was a super influential album and he was yeah. you know a part of the musical culture for years previously sure uh just a couple things here um hallelujah has garnered an emmy award for the west wing in the episode uh passe comitatus Oh, yeah. uh, it also has researched multiple times at number one on the charts, uh, particularly when uh, more than once when like singing show people have covered his specific version of the song. Mm-hmm. 
uh, it's just immediately shot up and re-beat them at number one on the chart. Uh, most notably, Jason Castro from American Idol and Alexandra Burke from The X Factor. Um, sure. Also, uh, just looking at like different um, things that have happened, uh, there was uh, a, a biopic that's getting ready to film or potentially going to film. Uh, sure. Uh, that Yeah, we'll see if it actually happens. It's set to begin filming and then kind of got pushed and moved, and, and we'll see. Okay. Uh, but... A biopic is definitely not somebody who just deserves a one. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, so there's some interesting things there. I don't think it's going to push him up too high. No, but a little respect for him here, I think. Yeah. Um, so we think, like a two? I think we could give him a two. Just looking at two quick names real quick that I think you'll appreciate that have directly attributed some or all of parts of their work to Jeff Buckley, uh, Tom York, and Coldplay. Yeah, yeah there you go. That's not so, bad. not bad. Yeah, Tom York said that Buckley's performances gave him the confidence to sing falsetto. And that worked out pretty nicely for Radiohead, <laughs> I would argue. I would agree. Um, considering they're probably the most acclaimed group of the last, like, 40 years. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, we've got Breath of Work, and here is the thing. Uh, there's there, there's <laughs> only one album, which... Let me... Here's where we're going to start. Sure. Jeff Buckley is not going to score well. No. On our formula. We know that. We're not fools. But it's important to talk about artists like this. Oh, yeah. Regardless of the score, because he was very important to music, and he left a mark. And we are all about talking about anybody who's left their mark on this world. Sure. Uh, So here's the deal. (laughs) He starts with a .8 for one album. I think he has enough in sales to push him to a one. On that one album, a lot of sales. A lot of sales. Well, like one RIA Platinum is enough to keep him where he's at, and then his international sales, I think, can boost him a little bit. Um, I will give. Sure. I'm I'm struggling here because, like, my instinct is to get, to award him a point three of quality, but I wonder if that's a little much for an artist who only released one record. Because mm-hmm. um, I like to save. You know, I'm a little bit stingy with my quality points. It's hard to get above point three for me. Um, even though I really liked it. So I'm going to give him a point .2. Uh, I'm going to give him a point .24. And then you can deem appropriate with your scoring. Uh, See, you, you always do. leave the onus on me here. Because you're, you're like, oh, that would round down to a point .2. Right, unless but if you think I he's good choose. enough. Right. I mean, here's what I'll say. He went platinum with the RIAA, but he also went eight times platinum in Australia. Which is like seven kangaroos. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah, well, first off, if seven kangaroos walked into a record store and paid currency for this album, it deserves a 10. Yeah, I mean. Let me be very point. clear. Uh, I am pretty comfortable giving him exactly a 3.1. Okay. so Do that math, buddy. All right. Um, I mean, that gives him a 1.6, which is pretty impressive. I mean, barely because it's rounded up, but there he goes. He's got it. Uh, instrumental talent. I think this is obviously going to be his strongest category of the day because it doesn't really get nerfed too much um, yeah. by lack of stuff. Uh, I think he's a talented vocalist. I think he's a talented guitarist. I wasn't necessarily like blown out of the water by this album in terms of instrumental talent, but it was consistently above average. Uh, yeah. Listen, I think he was very consistently above average. I think he had a good amount of difference even on such a small sample size, 
Like, mm-hmm. he was very much experimenting with different styles throughout the album. It's hard to pinpoint, like, Jeff Buckley as a musician. And I don't mean that right. in a bad way. I mean, it's no. hard to, like, pen yeah, him in thing. and fence him in. Uh, he also has a good number of things. He did vocals, guitar, keyboards, dulcimer, and mm-hmm. percussion throughout this album. So all of that is impressive. Uh, I'd be fine giving him, again, one album. I know we don't knock him for that, but, like, I'm not giving him, like, it's not consistent crazy over time. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I'm comfortable being in, like, the five to mid fives. And I'm, I'm right with you. Uh, I'm okay with five and a half, honestly. Let's give him a five and a half. I think that's good. Songwriting, again, he's starting from a point eight. But I think it's fair to say that the one album he produced, the, the songwriting was above average. It was interesting. It yeah. felt like even though you could hear influences in it, it was truly his own uh, style now, that he brought to the table. Here's where there's a little bit of issue. Mm-hmm. I agree with everything you're saying. And I do think he made a lot of stuff his own. He did covers on this album. Yeah, a couple. A couple. Um, I mean, I still think it should be above a point eight. I'm talking about like a point eight tool, like a one. Okay, that's that's fine. I you know I just want to be clear. Like Lilac Wine is a James yeah. Shelton, sure. And there's obviously Hallelujah, his big one. Uh, the Corpus Christi Carol is uh, technically a traditional song, sure. So there's and you know there's a range of points. So right, I, there's definitely some. He's still getting points here. I just wanted to be clear. Like we're not just rose colored glasses and Jeff yeah, Buckley. No, fair. There's you know. But I think it's okay to take him to a one. I think what he does in terms of writing his own music outweighs the fact that there are two and a half covers on this album. Sure. Uh, poetic talent. Yeah. The poetic talent is is also suffering and probably a little more, sadly. Hmm. Because while you do, you can arrange a cover and make it your own, Yeah, you have the words in front of you that you didn't write. Sure. Uh, so I think maybe we don't give him any added points here. Are you just taking what, any, or are you leaving it at a point eight? I won't take any because I really enjoyed Grace and the writing in Grace and the writing in Last Goodbye. Sure. So, like, I would like to give him stuff if there were more like that, mm-hmm. but I'm going to instead just have them cancel out the James Shelton and uh, sure. Leonard Cohen covers, and we're flat one album. All right, point eight. X Factor, I do think he does get the uh, the premature death points here. He does. He does. Um, how much are we giving? I'm sure half or a one or half or a one. Uh, I or think three it's, I think we've done about point three. Okay. I th- I think it's been about a consistent point three. Well, then there it is. I've given yeah. it. Yeah. And now I suppose we can move on to the association. The association is an American sunshine pop band from California, and they were active from 1965 to 1978, and then. Shockingly, from 1979 till the present day. That is shocking. I mean, when we say active, it's a different kind of active from 1979 to the present. Yes. Because they they have stopped releasing new music. Correct. But we did manage to find three albums to go over for the association. We did. And then along comes the association, which I'm counting. That is an eponymous album. Yeah, 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 that works. So that's an eponymous debut from the association. If and only Jeff out... Buckley's birth name was Grace. <laughs> it'd be, yeah, it'd be interesting <laughs> for sure. But uh, that came out in 1966. Uh, we followed that up with Insight Out from 1967. And then Waterbeds in Trinidad from 1972. 
where else would they be? That's true. Where else would waterbeds be? Uh, well, you get to I go guess first, my friend. Yeah, it's my turn. Uh, so I will start off with, and then along comes the association. I love the association. I'm going to just come out and say it. I listened to the association before this. Uh, I've listened to this album. I really like this album. I have nothing bad to say. Uh, however, all right. <laughs> uh, two songs that really pop out of this album, which is just so interesting to me because they're the two that everybody kind of would know if you know the association. Along Comes Mary and Cherish. Mm-hmm. They really are just the two best songs in this album. And it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. It's rare. I find it rare. And I, I think you'd agree where like old school music Mm-hmm. Just the release singles get it right. A lot of times. A lot of times, a lot a lot of times, of times there's like a deep cut where it's like, this song, why wasn't this the single? Sure. Nope, you got it right. Along Comes Mary and Cheris are really good. Uh, however, there are, like, Enter the Young is a really good one, although questionable title. Uh, Your Own Love. Uh, like, I love this style. It combines, like, old school, almost like doo-wop harmonics with, like, a more... Rock like '60s rock sound, mm-hmm. and I love that. You know, they they're called a sunshine pop band. When I think sunshine pop, I think closer to like the Beach Boys, mm-hmm. which this is not. This no. album, at least, is not no. at all. It's it's a different style of harmonics. It's a, a totally different vibe than the Beach Boys would give you. But gosh darn it, if you're not snapping your finger and singing along. And I really love the interesting things they do vocally. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like pushing harmonics and different chord structures in like the effects and the chorus effect of their of their voices. Uh, they really use the vocals as an instrument to really build a full sound. It's not just like we're all here, so we're singing like the third and the fifth as we go. They're really working towards making unique, interesting sounds and chords and moments throughout the song. And it makes each song sound different. And I really enjoyed this album, needless to say. Yeah, I don't really have a ton to add. So I'll, I'll try to play. I'm, when I say devil's advocate, I don't mean this in a way that I didn't like the album because I liked it a lot. Uh, it was exactly what you would expect from a group like this at this point in their careers. The harmonies are very lush. They sound really good. I think they stand up to any of the the vocal based groups of this time. Yeah. Um, but they are definitely a band uh, that, unfortunately, for the most part, with one person who's putting guitars on this records, they're also only contributing vocals at this point, which is not what they're going to be for their whole career. Uh, but at this point, they are just the voices. Um, yeah. And they're not putting the instruments down as well. And you mentioned the best songs on the record, the bigger hits. There are some covers on this album. Uh, or songs that were written for them. And Along Comes Mary was not written by the group. Um, yeah, I mean, come on. Well, I'm just saying, if you want to critique them, that's probably, like, the easiest way to do it, because Look, some Tand of and Elmer hits... wrote Along Comes Mary for the association. Right, so no one in the band had anything to do with the songwriting credits there. I'm just saying it was written for them, Nick. Right, so we're it's all It's different than a for... cover. So, right, right. And I said there were covers and songs written for the band. I said both of those things. I don't care. You said a bad thing about the association. I'm, I'm mad at you now. Yeah, it's like the same as Motown. Like, I love all those Motown I artists, know. But they weren't writing the songs. And here's what I'll say. My only critique of the album um, Inside Out is that both of the hits were written by other people. Uh, there are a couple covers, but the hits were written by other people on Inside Out. And that is unfortunate that this is now a band that like of their four biggest three of them were not written by the group 
And that is yeah, the end. Yeah, so good. Yeah. If this was anyone else, you would be upset about this too. I am also um, I am upset about it, but it's so yeah. good. But I mean, that is genuinely like the end of my critiques for this record. Inside Out is like such a 1967 record. I remember listening to it earlier this year um, when <laughs> I, I was. I, I really, <laughs> I thought you were about to say. I remember listening to it when it came out. No, no, I because we are all convinced you're a time traveler. Yeah, that's correct. Today is actually National uh, Pretend to Be a Time Traveler Day too. In case you're wondering, yeah. today we're recording this. Yeah, the perfect day to pretend for you, yeah. Nick. Yeah, um, but it sounds like that year. Like, I remember thinking that the first time I heard it, like, oh, this really uh, blends in well to the year. It's definitely an evolution in style, and it's an evolution, I think, in the right direction. I think the experimentation on creativity in this in this record stands up, uh, and it was, it was a, a big improvement for the group. So, uh, even better. Yeah, listen, I agree. Um, obviously, yes, there is a little bit of a caveat. They're not writing their big hits. However, their big hits are being written for the group, which is a little better. Like, I would give that, like, a little bit better than somebody who's making a cover. Like, for instance, we just did Jeff Buckley. Uh Jeff Buckley's cover of Hallelujah put him on the map and was hugely successful. That is worth something, but I think having a song written for you is worth just a little bit more. See, that's interesting, because what I would argue is, like... Having a song written for you, then it's like taken care of and given to you. Whereas if you do a cover, you have a framework. But like if you do something totally different, like if you make a cover that is completely your own style and arrangement, that's more of a creative thing than just playing the song that someone else gave you. I mean, arranging a song versus just playing a song the way you're told. One of those things. Well, to be very clear, to be clear, we do not know that that's what's happening here. We know that the words were written for them. And the music. Otherwise, the band members would have a, a, a songwriting credit on there. Right, but we 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 understand. I'm saying like there's there's a little bit of a we don't know for sure that they're just regurgitating sheet music in front of them. We don't know what level of we don't know. Okay, we don't. Sure. I mean, I'm not saying there's like <laughs> passive zombies that just do as they're told. I'm just saying like they didn't write the words or music. Right, but all right. Listen, I th- I think that's I think you're having too hard of a take now. I, I mean, it's like I'm not going to really dock him for it too much later on. I'm just saying I think that arranging your own version of a cover is, to me, more, like, creatively impressive than having a song written for you. Like, Yeah, I mean, when you word it like that, I agree. But I just think that, like, I think you're wording it in an unfair way. Maybe. Because, be. like, but when you having a said, cover. Like, you thought it was more in, that it was better for the band than a cover. And my immediate thought was, like, well, some covers can be, like, just way more interesting and creative than the original. And, like, a lot yeah. more thought goes into the com- composition of them. So I just, like, I didn't necessarily agree with the statement that you put out there. And that's all I wanted to put. Sure. But, I mean, I think that you're thinking of a, a very specific subset of covers where a lot of covers are just a lot of covers are just a cover. Just doing a sure. cover of the Case song. Case by case basis. Exactly. That's like I think you're thinking and arguing based on a very specific subset, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking of like the generalization of the term a cover mm-hmm. performance. Like, yeah, somebody could take what's written on a page in front of them and transform it as well. So we don't sure. know for sure. I will, however, say while Windy is my favorite song on the album, my second favorite song on this album, which is written by Terry Kirkman, who is in the band is Requiem for the Masses. Mm. It is gorgeous. I I I will stand by the fact that religious music, like sheer 
the chord progressions, the chords they use, the the emotions of the music, whatever you think about religious messaging, take the lyrics out even, are beautiful. And the Requiem for the Masses is a beautiful piece, and the harmonies and the vocals are gorgeous. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to that one, uh, and I really enjoyed the association for this one. And I will take us into Waterbeds in Trinidad. There is an exclamation point I must constantly go for it. Now, Waterbeds in Trinidad is interesting for me. I liked this album. Let me be very clear. However, this is not the the association that I knew. No. Nearly as much in terms of music. Uh, It's 1972, so it's not like much time has passed, really. Uh, However, this album is where if you're like, oh, they're a sunshine pop band a la the Beach Boys, I get it. It's closer to that. It's not the same as that, but it's like looking down that road. Like it's like right up the road from like California pop harmonics. And there's more instruments and more like thematic musicality in the instruments than like intricate vocal lines and harmonies throughout. It's a little bit simplified vocally. And it's still really enjoyable. I still really like it. It's definitely my third of three for for the association. Uh, so there's definitely more to critique here, I think. Although it's still not bad and still pretty good. And that's what I've got. Okay. Um, so it's interesting. We might have opposite takes here. So this was like really the band had fallen off at this point. And I wonder if the fact that there's like no, not really any popularity to this is why they kind of stopped putting out music at this point. Um However, I think that that drop off maybe has to do with what you're saying of like they've identity has changed so much at this point. Yeah. But not quality of the music, because I really thought that this was like a super strong pop rock album. I think it pulled a lot of country influences and did it really, really well. This was the first association album where you could hear a distorted electric guitar at any point. Like, yes, uh, like different. They've really evolved as songwriters uh, musically. And I actually wrote that this might be might have been my favorite of the three by a hair. <laughs> OK, um, I, I thought it was really good. And honestly, it's exactly what I would want from a group like this. Like they kind of started out at, on the very strong end of a vocal pop group. Then they got into a lot more of experimentation with their music and they started doing new things instrumentally and vocally in terms of songwriting style. And then the, the, the last album was like almost unrecognizable, but was still really good uh, songs and pieces where they were just like it's con- it was a continued creative growth to me. Although- Listen, I'm not disagreeing with you. And like I said, I really enjoyed this album. The reason it's my third of three is just very simply when I think of the association of what I you know, no pun intended, what I associate yeah, no, with no, the you're, association you're is those strong harmonies mm-hmm. and more importantly, the strong lines in the vocal. Yeah. Which you just don't get here. You get maybe no. more instrumental experimentation. Right. Which is but probably it's definitely why a trade off. It would yeah, and that's probably why an album like this is more appealing to me than it is to you. Sure. And I just like, think that you you more often than not get musical instrumental experimentation and you less often get vocal experimentation. Sure. And so I'm sad that it left in this album. Fair enough. Let's grade them. So they've got a handful of hits here. They do. Um, They had, I think, like four uh, top 40 hits or something like that. And they did play um, at uh, Monterey Pop 
which is a pretty big deal. So that's all I got. You got anything else? Uh, I mean, they so they yeah they had numerous hits. They had "Windy," "Cherish," "Never My Love," "Along Comes Mary." Uh, they were. I'm trying to think. I don't really necessarily have too much more. Obviously, they are maybe not by name super well known culturally. Mm-hmm. Like, sadly, they're sure. a band that maybe slipped through the cracks a little bit. Mm-hmm. I agree. But I mean, four notable hits. I mean, that's more than a one hit wonder. Monterey For Pop sure. gives them a little points. bit. Uh, pretty consistent uh, sales throughout their career, it seems. What's your Although we'll goals? get more into that into Breath of, Breath of Work. Mm-hmm. What number are you thinking of, Nick? I don't know. Maybe a three? Yeah, I was leaning in the threes myself. Uh, not in the high threes either, but maybe a little bit higher than just a three. Maybe like a three sure. one or a three two. I'll give you a three two. I got no issue with that. Nice. Uh, in Breath of Work, we're looking at what? Seven studio albums here? Yeah. So we're uh, a little bit over. We're starting at a 5.2. Um, there's a bunch of covers on there. I'm not really thinking that that needs to dock them here. Um, unless you think it should take off like a point one or something. Uh, each album did have like three covers or so. Here's the thing. I agree with you. I'm not necessarily going to dock any, um, (laughs) sorry, Megan made me laugh. She said she's never heard of uh, the association, but she's never heard of any other band than low total. Yeah, that makes sense. That's uh, the greatest band of all time, honestly. I don't even know why we're doing well, the podcast. Well. Because we already know the greatest I'll band of all time is Low Totem. Uh, no, so here's here's why. I want to kind of leave it where it is because uh, this band has three separate covers that have sold a million copies, which is sure. Platinum, which is Cherish, Windy, and Never yeah, My Love. that makes sense. Which I think kind of balances out. Sure. Maybe we just moot point the, the covers. Cool with me. Um, then... They have two golds as well, so I don't think that they're moving too much. No. Uh, in terms of sales. So it's just what they're going to get from me. I'm going to give them a point three, And I'm going to give them a point four. And they have 5.9, and we move on to instrumental talent, which I also think is a good score. Um, yeah. We got a lot of lot of strong vocalists. And then all the once the bands took over um, the actual instrumentation on the records as well, aside from the vocals... Um, I think they all did a very competent job throughout. Yeah. There, was, there were no, like, flaws. It wasn't, like, crazy or anything like that, but it, it was definitely uh, well done. I would agree. I think that uh, this is a group that excels in certain parts. Uh, specifically, I think one of their big things is all of the lead vocalists, and they're mm-hmm. pretty much everybody takes over at times. Right. Is strong. I mean, yeah, all sing well. It's not like there's really a drop off. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest with you. Okay, you listen to Eagles. I don't love Joe Walsh. Sure, I don't love his vocal. It's a little bit of a drop off for me. I think it's whenever a, you it's hear a him. time and a place. I think yeah, there, there are songs sure. that are designed for him and that absolutely can be perfect. Uh but this, I mean, this band doesn't necessarily have that. I think all of all of the singers are strong. I, don't I think know that the they have the highs of like a Glenn Fry though. No, I mean maybe you're right on that as yeah. well, but they don't. Yeah, Glenn is. is I wouldn't. Elite. <laughs> I wouldn't disagree with you on that. I'm just saying that they don't have the low, so maybe they're kind of more in the middle of that. What all this boils down to is I'm probably in the fives. And yeah, I agree. And I would be okay uh, on the on the higher end, mid to higher end, the fives as well. Yeah, I was thinking like a five eight personally. And I'm happy to give it to you. Songwriting. Um, here's what I'll say. I think we're playing a game where I think their songwriting is above average, 
And I think now we have to account for the fact that there are the three covers. or four songs that are either covers or written for them on each album. And maybe that balances out somewhere right back at the middle. And I would be okay with that. I will argue you slightly above the middle. And I, I wouldn't even argue that hard because I, I yeah. really did enjoy uh, the growth from, from one album to the next. Yeah. So do you want I, like a 5-1 or a 5-2? I was thinking a 5-2. Sure. You got uh, and I'll tell you what, it, what really does it for me. It's that, yes, I understand that they didn't write all of their songs and that their big hits, their, their million sellers uh, were written for them. Mm-hmm. However, Terry Kirkman is one of the members of this band. And on Inside Out, just by himself, uh, he wrote a song called Wasn't It a Bit Like Now, which is the opening track, which is fun. It's a fun vocal group, very poppy, good album, good harmonies throughout, good vocal lines. And that's the opening of the album. And in the closing of the album, Terry Kirkman, by himself, wrote Requiem for the Masses. Sure. Which is a full-scale, like, gothic, Catholic Requiem. Sure. And... I think that juxtaposition, and not just those two examples, but I'm using them to say that when the yes. band writes, they write they varied, with... they write fresh. Yes. So they're a little bit above that. average over what like, we've had on this podcast. Yeah, you're right. You know what? You've talked. I'm going to go to a 5-3. I love it. Poetic talent, though, I'm going to be a little under average because I don't think it was ever agree. more than solid, and now yeah. the covers hurt. And so I it's mean, like in the fours. I would definitely agree. The covers hurt. Although, let's be clear. Even if the covers were theirs, I wouldn't be adding too many points. I mean, no. Wendy's a really good song, but like, who's but tripping yeah. down the streets of the city, exactly. smiling at everybody? She's like, it's yeah. fun, it's poppy, but it's their lyrics no there, are there not lyrics, necessarily but... what you're drawn to with them. Yeah, so I'm okay with like a, a in the four and a half to four six area. Let's give them the four six. I mean, their their stuff their stuff is never bad. So the only thing we're taking no. away for is that their big hits were covers. Okay, so or were written is for their X factor here that I'm unaware of. I was looking, I mean, uh, if the only thing would be like Monterey Pop, but while we give Woodstock points, have we given Monterey Pop points? So like, that would be the same points. Honestly, it would get redundant for a lot of artists. I would agree. So I would be fine if they don't. The importance of Monterey Pop in previous episodes and things like that. We get it. Oh, now hold on. This is huge. Okay. The association was inducted into the Pop Music Hall of Fame's 2016 class. Oh, wow. Round of applause. Which is in Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania. You hear that round of applause on Gibbons? I don't see a round. I just see you. It's a straight line of applause. I, I did what I could. But hey. All right. Just... Good, good to shout them out. Let's move on to Is. Israel Kamakabivole, uh, which means the fearless eye, the bold face. Hmm. Just want to throw that out there. Uh, who is also known as Bretta Is or just Is, and we'll probably just refer to him as Is for the rest of this. Mm-hmm. But just more proof that I did, in fact, learn how to pronounce his name. Israel Kamakivavole. Uh, he was a Hawaiian musician, singer, songwriter, and most importantly, a Hawaiian sovereignty activist, mm-hmm. which we will talk more about. Yeah. Uh, however, as a musician, we covered three of his albums. We start with Ka Anoi which came out in 1990. Another five minutes of researching that. Much harder to find than his name. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, then I worked really hard on this one, too. Facing Future, uh, which wow. came out in 1993. And then End This Life from 1996. <laughs> we'll get there when we get there. I am definitely talking about that album name. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> I'll start by talking about Ka Anoi. 
Uh, so the, I had to to piece this together because um, I was listening to it at work, and oh, okay. it was it was really tough to do that. I think I got a mixture of performances actually on this record and like other like re-recordings of songs maybe later on. Sure, sure, sure. Um, because the ones that I'm pretty sure were on this record were were largely like full band instrumentals. Now I just have a question for you. The reason you were piecing it together was because you were at work, or was it not Correct. on Apple Music? No, no, it was because I was at work. I, okay, I realized it was on Apple Music, and when I still had like three songs left, and I listened to those all on Apple Music. Sure, gotcha. Um, so that was interesting to hear the full band, especially because uh, "Over the Rainbow, What a Wonderful World" is on here, and it is it is not the famous version of that song. No, it's a much more not at all version. Yeah, and not, a much more like fun. groovy. Version. Yeah. In a in a way that made it not as enjoyable to me as the the, the other one. Sure, <laughs> could just that be that I'm so used to the other one, but I, I didn't love that in comparison. Um, it was very enjoyable though for the most part. Like I liked the folkier yeah. end of it, um, especially, and even the full band arrangements were folkier arrangements. Um, he has a nice voice. He has a nice singing voice. Um, but I guess the drawback here would be I can't find that. It seems to me that he didn't write any of these songs. Right. Yeah, I mean, everything that I could find writers on was a cover, and everything on his albums after this one are, are covers. So I yeah. just have to assume that he never wrote any music. And yeah, I mean, that is going to be the caveat, the drawback of is uh, he did kind of change covers. Yeah. And different things like that. Like, that was kind of what he did. He Hawaiianized mm-hmm. popular songs and, did and then did Hawaiian traditional songs. Hawaiian songs. Uh, however, I think there's still a lot to be gained there. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, m- mashing up the Jackson 5s. Oh, hold on, hold on. Let me try that again. Mashing up the Jackson 5s. I'll Be There with Warren's mm-hmm. song was really interesting and cleverly done. Uh, obviously, mashing up Oh, the Rainbow, What a Wonderful World. Mm-hmm. While <laughs> that is almost how it's just done nowadays. Right. Like, that was an idea and a very good idea. Although this is, like Nick mentioned, not the most famous version of that. Right. Which we will get to. Uh, all in all, this is a really good this is a really good album from his. He's a really like pleasant vocalist. Like his voice just like hugs you. It's so clear all the way through. He has really excellent control over his voice. And when you look at him like this big dude, like really kind of like imposing structure. I mean, he was a tall, big guy. To hear just such a peaceful, calming voice come from him was really, like, obviously, like, you knew that. I'm saying like a lot right now, which I don't like. But you know that that is him because of who he is and because everyone has kind of heard the big song. Right. However, I really enjoyed this album. But we're going to go into Facing Future. We are. Now... This album, let's be honest, comes with the Somewhere Over the Rainbow, What a Wonderful World that everyone knows and loves. Yeah. The acoustic recording of it, the one that we hear on this album, was actually recorded first. Mm -hmm. And it's a very popular story. I'm sure I've told you it, Nick, but I'm going to mention it again, obviously, for this episode. Iz was basically just, like, jamming on his uke Mm -hmm. and came up with the idea to mash those two songs up and called up one of his studio buddies at like two or three in the morning and was like, hey, I have this idea. Can I come in and record it? And because of who is 
was. Mm-hmm. And like his, like, you can't say no to him. <laughs> Nor would you want to because of how nice of a guy he was. Right. So the dude like woke up, went into the studio with him, and in one take, boom, recorded this album. Or recorded this song. That song, yeah. Like the version that is more popular. And then they workshopped it and came up with the version that was on Katanoi. So they workshopped it to be worse. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um this album is very interesting for me because it it incorporates a lot more of the traditional Hawaiian songs, which mm-hmm. I really enjoy. Yeah. Like it's such a it's such a sound that I don't get to hear enough because I'm going to be honest with my age, the only other time I really got to listen to this music was SpongeBob. In, was Lilo and Stitch. Uh SpongeBob. I mean SpongeBob has stuff, but yeah. Like Lilo and Stitch had like multiple Hawaiian tracks on the soundtrack, which I listened to because I was a Disney nerd as a child. Because I was a child, you were, you were. A child. Now, I really liked all of that, and I really liked his cover. Obviously, the big song, "Summer the Rainbow, What a Wonderful World." I was very interested in his cover of "Take Me Home, Country Roads." <laughs> yeah, it was it was unique. It was Hawaiian. <laughs> It was Hawaiian. It was very weird to listen to because I'm so used to the John Denver version of it. Yeah. Uh, however, again, it's really hard for me to find a, a bunch of fault here because it's just a bunch of Hawaiian traditionals and Hawaiian folk songs done really well and in a very innocent way. And then a couple like clever Americanized like traditional songs thrown in for good measure. Uh, I don't have a ton to add to that. I mean, I'll say it was the best. It's it is the best selling album ever by a Hawaiian artist. Yeah. Um, and I just agreed that the uh, the more acoustic the arrangement, the better as a general rule for this record. Yes, I absolutely. like the more broken down songs. Uh, I don't think there's anything else. Well, because he's say such about a that. good ukulele player. Sure. Like uh, he's very good at the ukulele, which is something we didn't okay. talk about yet. Now I need to give my biggest critique of this. And it is yeah, the title of this album, sure. This Life. Like, if you put out an album in the, the mid to late 90s, and it's titled The Letter N, then D-I-S, and Life. You're like, expecting that his is big a hip-hop hip-hop. album. Yeah. That's a hip-hop album. You're expecting album. Like, you his big hip-hop renaissance from his. Yeah. You can't do that and then put together, like, an album of Hawaiian uh, <laughs> songs. Uh, I just don't allow it. Uh, and, and well, he let's even go. Knew let's that go. when he named the title track, he called it the title track "In This In Life, This Life," which is correct. That should have been the name of the album. Um, <laughs> so it was just it was bizarre. Um, How bizarre? A, a little. Here's what I'll say: This album was the worst of the three, uh, and I have my reason. And the reason, okay, is and I don't mean this to be to be mean. Uh, it's whoever played keyboards on this record. <laughs> Whoever played the keyboard and synths on this record literally only chose the cheesiest, most absurd sounds that would obviously not age past like a week. They were like, what could I put on this record to make sure that every song is unlistenable by next Tuesday? Okay, I'll put that on. Because like all these songs would be lovely to listen to again, but the choice of keyboard patch in the instrumentation was a distraction every time it was there in a negative. Like, if it was just is in a ukulele, all these songs would be better. Every one of them. Yeah. Uh, I oh, And I have one other thing to say, because I don't want to forget <laughs> okay. it. Okay. 
when the the rare times on these latter albums where he starts to get some grit in his voice, like where yeah. he is attacks a little more, he sounds exactly like you when you do that. Oh, wow. He, like you guys have a very similar timbre, like in that particular place in your voice. Well, I will very appreciatively take the comparison because I love his voice. Yeah. Uh, and I love his, like his voice. Uh, I mean, on Somewhere in the Rainbow was one of my like study techniques for vibrato basically mm-hmm. and for like naturalizing my vibrato sound because it's mm-hmm. so limited and I have a very classic vibrato mm-hmm. so like very operatic when I really yeah. get going with it yes. so like that was like my range from like you can pull back your vibrato and still have a lower vibrato mm-hmm. so I uh I have worked on my voice to be closer to is at times maybe in a different way but mm-hmm. I will take that sure uh this album was Maybe the weakest of the three, as you mentioned, for not is. I mean, he he still came out and yeah. did his thing. Um, and you actually get Living in a Sovereign Land, which is mm-hmm. a writing credit to is on this one. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense for his uh, activism and things like that, which we'll talk about when we grade him. I really enjoyed a lot of the stuff. I enjoy the originals, or I'm sorry, the traditionals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he alawe, alave, which is the opening track. I really thoroughly enjoyed it, and I think that this is a style of music, and I think that it's too often associated with like, you know, vacation, like sipping like a mm-hmm. like a pina colada. Sure. Like, you can really just thoroughly enjoy these songs, even if you don't speak the language, you don't have to, and for just like the peaceful, I agree, serenity of them. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed listening to Is. I'm happy we got through three of his albums, uh, and I'm happy that they held up. <laughs> now, even even this one, which may have been the weakest, they held up. Do you, do you agree with me about how bad the keyboard sounds were throughout this? Oh, yeah. I was going to mention it, and then you did. Like, okay. The keyboards they were, were terrible. Okay. They were really <laughs> grating in the ear, which is not what you yeah, want keyboards exactly. to be. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, they're abrasive, and that yeah. like, just turns the ear off right away. That will not hold up. But anyway, uh, let's grade him. Let's grade him. So he has one big song. And he is, like, the most famous Hawaiian musician of time also. <laughs> there's argument that he is the most famous Hawaiian ever. Like, there's argument. I'm not saying, necess- like, definitely. But, like, in terms of, like, especially modern culture, uh-huh. it's hard to argue. Are you looking up famous Hawaiians? No, but I know one. I, I mean, at you- least someone who was born in Hawaii, who's pretty famous, uh, former okay. President Barack yes. Obama. That's like, I I was like the whole time. I was like, wait, are you saying is this more famous than Obama? Okay, hold on. You're not wrong. Barack Obama was born in but Hawaii. But he's not known for being Hawaiian. I'm saying like he's when you a, think he's of not like a, native Hawaiian. a Hawaiian. Sure. Like he's somebody not a native who is Hawaiian. Hawaiian. Yes, like right. not a person who is the, like from there, but maybe has a your. Uh, European ancestry, but like a right, native like somebody who yeah. is like of Up Hawaiian culture. Mm-hmm. There's sure. is maybe Bruno Mars, although but again his his identity is know not that about him. Right. I just want to say I looked up famous Hawaiians, and the first person is 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 okay. Yeah, that's fair. The first person that popped up is is, and I agree. So what do we give him? <laughs> Ooh, Jason Momoa. Oh, is he is he Hawaiian? I don't know. No, I just saw a picture of him and just wanted to shout him out. Oh, okay. He's Samoan. But... He's, okay, I, I had a feeling that he was. Yeah. And that's why I was going to be surprised. Okay. 
what's this what is this number like there's, it's not bad there, I mean, but it's not good there, it's i would think that we could probably very easily put him right around where we put the association i think that that i don't have a problem with yeah I give it like a three I, like there's arguments to be put in, to put him higher and i feel like maybe just you and i our personal lack of knowledge of him may be affecting that a little bit mm-hmm. but we can let's put him at a three for now yeah that's fine. He was named the voice of Hawaii uh, by NPR in 2010. That's excellent. His breadth of work, however, consisted of four records. Yes. Uh, so he's going to start with a 3.4. Uh, and he, I think, is probably going to hold right there on the strength of sales from Facing Future, which is, I believe, his only record that has uh, slatified. Sure. Yeah. So, uh... I mean, unless you have other information. That's what I was waiting on. In terms of his breadth of work, four albums, obviously the one major hit, which is, you know, we know about. Yeah. Look, it starts at a 3.4. I just think it stays there is all I'm saying. And then we can add our points. Sure. And I'm okay with that. I'm going to add point two. Okay. Uh, I am going to add a point three. Okay. And I, I think that's. That gives him a trying to be nine and we move on. Yeah. Instrumental talent. Uh, which I think is is very very pleasant. Um, I don't. It's not virtuosic again. Uh, a lot of the instrumentation is a lot is more sparse here. Like there's right. less that the instruments are designed to do, and it's more to be carried by the voice. And he does have a very lovely voice. He has a very lovely voice, and again, not to be over like not to be glossed over. He is definitely I would say the most famous, and also one of the better ukulele players of all time. I. He's a very good ukulele player. Yeah, yeah, and... that's the thing. Like, it's just I don't want to. I don't know enough about the instrument to like say is how I feel. Like, it sure. sounds really good to me, but I'm not like an expert. I can play like you know a handful of chords on the ukulele, but uh, I don't feel like I know it well enough to talk about like how much I enjoy someone's guitar playing or drumming or something like that. Instead, I understand. Um, but I, I have no problem with this score being above the average again. Probably not by yeah. a ton, but it definitely, uh, on the strength of the things that are played on the record, I'm okay going above five. I like it. I like that idea. Um, I like going maybe not all the way up to a five and a half, but maybe 5.4. I wouldn't argue with you. All right, here we go. Songwriting. I you didn't write them. I, yeah, it's a point one, right? <laughs> uh, well, hold on. I don't think it's a point one for this one. I think the next one is where you get to it being a point one. I think this one. I disagree. I, really, you think the, the lyrics? I think because he at least wrote one song. He he rewrote the words to to take me home, country roads. I was gonna afford him a point two. Well, he also wrote uh, and the lyrics and in this life, the... living in a sovereign land. Right. Well, he co-wrote it, and he was the second listed writer. <laughs> right. But, um, but okay, I'm willing to give him a point two in each. Look, I'm going to give him a whole extra point. I would, I the, would have argued oh. up to a point three for for songwriting just because the arrangements. Oh, that's fine. The arrangements are very different. I mean, it's a very different version than the Judy Garland "Somewhere Over the Rainbow." Mm-hmm. Let's be clear. So yeah. I would, I would be, I would argue him higher, but I think a point three works. That's fine, and I'm giving him point two for poetic. And then, is there yeah. a little bit of X factor here? Um, I think there is X factor, and it's it's this. It's 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 one. We could give him something for his premature passing. Um, mm-hmm. I he he was thirty eight years 38. old when he passed away. Uh, health complications, unfortunately. Uh, however, the thing that I want is 
Somewhere Over the Rainbow has a very interesting distinction. Uh, the World Digital Songs chart uh, is yeah. a, a Nielsen chart. And that song spent 185 weeks on top of it. Yeah, that's It is the wild. longest leading number one hit of any of the Billboard song charts. Yeah. That is huge. That is a a very long time. Just think You're about right. how many weeks are in a year. At least at least two. At least two, Upwards but maybe 52. That could be right. Which means if you just do some quick math, that is over three years. Three and a half that years. That does check out. On the charts. That's wild. He deserves some points for that. I agree. And then also, here is where I would just like to talk a little bit about his support of the Hawaiian rights. Uh, he is a very, he was always a very huge proponent for Hawaiian independence. Mm-hmm. Uh, through a lot well, of how's his lyrics. Well, how's that worked and, out for him? Jeez. <laughs> it's still a state, buddy. Through a lot of his uh, lyrics and the songs that he chose to write and sing, uh, he was somebody who wanted Hawaiian culture and things to be, you know, free. Uh, in Hawaii 78, he, uh, some of the things he wrote were, the life of this land is the life of the people, and that to care for the land is to care for the Hawaiian culture. That's very nice. So the state motto of Hawaii is a recurring line in that song, and I just think that it's important to talk about. He was a huge proponent of that. He is well regarded as like a cultural icon of course, in Hawaii. Yes. Uh, even as recently as, oh, what's the name of that? Uh, Moana. In Moana, mm-hmm. there was a little short film mm-hmm. that uh, was with the movie. It was uh, like, it was the lava song was, was a big thing of it. We actually sang it on one of our Sunday jams, Nick. I do vaguely remember this. So the lava song... Uh, had a ho- a big volcano and a little volcano and and they were in lava. They were and and they were based on Iz and his wife. Mm. So like even up until whenever was it 2016 that Moana came out, like I have no still idea. <laughs> still people are are very actively idolizing Iz and his mm-hmm. life. So just wanted to point that out there. He was a huge icon in Hawaii for both his music and his activism. I think that warrants some points and the 185 weeks on top of the charts. How many points do you want? One? I want a full point, yeah. You got it. And I now have final scores for you. Okay. And uh, in uh, third place this week, Pat. You loser. Is like arguably the best album of the week it's jeff buckley yeah uh and like literally only because he had one album so an 11.2 honestly for for someone with one album 11.2 might be the best we've ever given Uh, honestly it very well could be i I mean we both loved that album loved jeff buckley like i said there wasn't a miss this week no i mean there wasn't a miss this week it was a very strong week yeah you're right um and then in uh, first place, winning this episode. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Is obviously the only artist that had at least six albums, The Association. Yeah. Uh, they won with a 24.8. Which is just crazy because, uh, like, it's such a low score for, like, low scoring week for a week that I really loved. Yeah. Yeah, just a, not a lot of albums. Not a lot of albums or yeah. a ton of, like, uh, you know, well-knownness. Yeah. Each Very in their sad. own way was well known. Yeah. But um, 
So stick around next week because, uh, like you were just saying, speaking of marrying your cousin, uh, <laughs> Jerry Lee Lewis will be on the podcast next week. Oof. <laughs> big oof. A big oof. I have a feeling he might be losing some uh, some points in some places for some <laughs> oh things. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, no thank you. Yeah, no spoilers. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, I don't know about you, Nick, but I had fun. Oh, of course. I always do. I had a fun time. I I uh, I really liked this week. I'm looking forward to next week, although you've really put a damper on my enjoyment of it. You don't like the fact that he got married to his 13-year-old <laughs> cousin? Is that a problem? You're, you're <laughs> making it so much worse. I didn't make it that way at all. Jerry Lee Lewis made it that way. I'm just letting you know what he did. I, I knew what he did. You know, he really, although I'll say this, in a lot of ways was majorly influential on Ted Nugent. Well, I can't think of anything better to say than goodbye, everyone. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Can't wait to see you all next week. And most importantly, as you're listening and enjoying our podcast, have a great 